This week's parsha is Parsha's Kisavai. At the beginning of the parsha, we have, of course, the famous parsha of Mikra Bikurim, where the farmer brings his basket of fruits with the Shiva Saminim in it and brings it to the Beis HaMikdash before the Kayin and makes a declaration of Akaras HaTayv. And there's so many Yisaidas to be taken from the Parsha Bikurim. We've spoken about it in years past, the Indian of Akaras HaTayv, as is brought out by the Chinuch so beautifully, other elements of Bikurim. But if you want to know how fundamental Bikurim are to call Yisrael and to the world, the Medrash at the beginning of Medrash Rabbah, and Bereshus Rabbah says that one of the few things that the world was created for was the Bikurim. Rashi brings, of course, at the beginning of Chumash, the more famous things that the world was created for, Bishvil Teresh Nikoreshus, Bishvil Yisrael Nikoreshus, but there's also in Medrash brought that it's because of the Bikurim that are, that are called Reshus, that's why the world was created. So there must be something very important when it comes to Bikurim that we could take from. And that's what we want to discuss this morning. A very interesting, strange halacha when it comes to Bikurim that I think is very rich in meaning. There's a Mishnah in Bikurim that's brought in the Gemara of Akama and Sadibeza Manawaf. Very fascinating Gemara that we just learned recently in the Daf about different sayings, different expressions that the Velt says. And the Gemara wants to know what the Makar for these wisdoms, these golden nuggets of wisdom are. Is there a Makar in the Torah in in for statements that people make, so that one of these statements are minoha milsa inshi. How do you know that this concept that people say that basar anya ozla aniusa? What's the quotation that after poverty comes poverty? Meaning that when a person is poor. More poverty follows, Nebuch. If a person is rich, we know the rich get richer. What happens to the poor? The poor get poorer. How do you know that? How do you know that the poor is followed and plagued by more poverty? Very hard if a person's poor to get out of the cycle of poverty. How do you know that? So the Gemara brings a riot to this from the Gemara, from the Mishnah Bikurim. In Perak Gimel, Mishnah Ches, there's a strange halacha that we find by Bikurim. Ashirim and Aniyim both bring Bikurim. You can have a very wealthy farmer and you can have a poor farmer and they're both standing online to bring Bikurim. The Ashirim are expected to bring their Bikurim in golden baskets. Sometimes you go to somebody's house and they have like a silver bread basket, very chashev, they had silver or gold bread baskets that were brought, that were used to bring the Bikurim in. So they brought their fruits, their pomegranates and their figs and their grapes and they put in a beautiful gold or silver basket, the Ashirim. 
Amien, they would take wicker baskets. They couldn't afford gold, silver. They didn't have that. They were poor. So they would bring their Bikurim in baskets made of wicker, baskets made of, of leaves of Aravas, which were weaved together, woven together, and that was what formed the baskets which were used to bring their Bikurim. And so far that's not so strange. But the rest of the Mishnah is strange. The rest of the Mishnah says that the Aniyim, they had to dedicate not only the Bikurim and give that to the Kayin, but they also had to leave their basket with the Kayin. So they had to give the fruits, the Bikurim, and the wicker basket had to remain. They didn't get to take that wicker basket home with them. Although they could probably use it, they were poor, but they had to leave the wicker basket together with the Bikurim. That's not so when it came to the Ashirim. The Ashirim would bring their fancy gold, silver baskets to the Kayin. The Kayin would take the fruit out of the basket and the, then he would give back to the Ashir his gold or silver basket. This is a Mishnah Bikurim. That's what the Gemara says. That's Basar Anya Azal Yusa. After a poor person, Nebuch, a poor person has no luck. A rich person, he's very wealthy, he gets to bring his nice Bikurim, and he gets to take that beautiful gold or silver basket back home with him. Kishmak. Nebuch, the poor person that comes to the base of Mikdash with his wicker basket, he has to not only give the Bikurim, which he could probably barely afford, but he also has to leave that basket of wicker with a Kayin. He can't even bring that home with him. It's such an ironic Mishnah. It's such a, it's a Mishnah that if you're ethically focused, it would bother you. Why is this? Why was the Rebbein wanting the wicker basket of the Ani and yet the Usher gets to take home his gold basket? The Taisus Yantif on that Mishnah in Bikurim says of Shat, he says that there was a certain shear of chashivas that had to be given when it came to the Bikurim. And since the fruits of the Ani were already like shmach, they weren't able to cultivate beautiful fruits like the usher was in his crop, so it didn't meet the bar, it wasn't able to, it didn't meet the standard of Bikurim. So only if you were able to be mashlim that the fruits, together with a wicker, that would be a, a, a matnas bikurim. The fruits of the usher were so chashim that they didn't need more than that, so they got their gold basket back. That's the Taisus Yantiv's pshat. I like a pshat I saw in the Taritimima, more of a lumdish pshat, I have a kash on it, but he gives more of a lumdish. He says that the gold basket had no shaykhas to the bikurim. Bikurim is bringing fruits. The gold basket is something separate from the fruits. But the Ani, when he's bringing the wicker basket, the wicker basket is also a natural, it's a natural product in a sense. It, was, it also comes from the ground. And so it sort of becomes part of the chefts of Bikurim is the wicker basket. So you have to give that, that becomes part of the Paris of Bikurim that you're giving is that natural item called the, the basket, the basket of the chalik of the Bikurim. 
That's what Torah to me is I just don't understand it because the Bikurim are only brought from, from the Shiva Saminim. Only the Shiva Saminim is what you bring Bikurim from. And the, the wicker basket is, the Gemara says, a sal shell nitzaram that was made from a klipa shell araba. Arabas are not from the Shiva Saminim. So I don't know why you would think that the, the basket itself should be forfeited as a chalik of if it was made from vines, maybe, or if it was made from, uh, you know, the branches of one of the Shiva Saminim, I can understand that. But the Gemara says that it's, that it's the, the branches of an Arava tree, which is, Pasha, it's not one of the Shiva Saminim, unless it doesn't mean literally from an Arava bush, maybe it means just, I'm like some branch that came from one of the Shiva Saminim. Anyway, but that's what the Tayyotrima says. What I want to try to discuss today is come up with an idea for this discrepancy between the Ani and the Asher when it comes to Bikurim. Why is it that the Ani has to part with the basket in addition to the fruits and the Asher gets to take home his gold basket? In life, there are two basic types of people. There are Aniyim and there are Ashirim. Obviously, you know, there's also a middle class, but we're not discussing the middle class that are sort of neither rich or poor, they're right in the middle. But the extremes of life are that there are people that are poor, and then there are people that are wealthy. There are people that barely can make ends meet in life, and then there are people that have so much, and they're living with bato mikotel. They have everything that they could want and more, and they live in the lap of luxury. And then there are people that don't have anything. There are the haves and the have-nots. The Mesos Yisharim writes in Parak Aleph that both Aniyas and Ashiras are tremendous nisyaynes that face the individual. Ha'ayni mitzad echad, ha'ayshem mitzad acher. Poverty is a terrible thing. Rachmanu Etzlana, the person doesn't have money, he can't buy food, he can't have a roof over his head. He's constantly scrimping and saving and, and, and asking and borrowing it's a terrible, terrible life. Achmanulitzlan, like the person that the Rav that was standing here yesterday discussing the Matzav in Eretz Yisrael with the Aniyim and how he was collecting for them. And he gave us a wonderful bracha that we should always be from the people that are the givers and not the takers. It's a terrible Nisayim for a person to have to take as an Ani for to have no pride anymore and to have to be on the taking side of life. It's a terrible, terrible Nisayim. Mitzat Sheni, Aisher, is also a terrible Nisayim. Very often a person becomes very, very wealthy. They make a lot of money on the stock market, or they win the lottery, or they, uh, their business takes off, and terrible, terrible things happen to that person. Gaiva, they become very haughty. They don't want to be friends with the people that they used to be friends with. They don't want to associate with a certain chevra anymore. They might not want to stay married to their wife. They might want to disown their children. They want to start all over. The, the money gets to their head. They win the lottery. If you look at and you follow the stories of the people that win the lottery, 
I think 10 out of 10 times the person is quoted as saying, I wish I had torn up that ticket before I redeemed it. Because it, it made their life absolutely unbearable. Aisher is, you know, obviously I think most people would rather have the Nisayan of Aisher than the Nisayan of Aini. But the Mesos Yisharim lumps it together. Mesos Yisharim says that both of them are terrible. And he says, this is what Shleim HaMelech writes in Mishle Perak Lamed, that Shleim HaMelech was afraid. Pen espa v'chichashti v'amarti mi'ashem. I'm afraid that I'm going to be so full, so satiated, so wealthy, that I'm going to deny HaKadosh Baruch Hu's existence. V'amarti mi'ashem. Who is God? I am God. I am the ability. I have the ability to do everything. I'm richer than God. That's a terrible expression. That's a terrible sentiment for a person to have in life. It's a terrible nisayin to be too wealthy. But to be a poor person is also a terrible nisayin. Because when your person is poor, what happens? They're, they're stealing from other people to make ends meet. They're borrowing. They're begging. They're doing whatever they can to try to earn enough money to live. And that's also an equally, if not greater, Nisayan than an usher. Now, because the Torah understands the Nisayan that it's putting an Ani in, and the Nisayan that it's putting an usher in, the Torah wants to rehabilitate both of them. The Torah wants to create an environment by which they're both able to come to the Mikdash Hashem and understand again what their mission in life is. The Rabbani Shalom wants to retool the Ami to get him back on the right path in life. And the Torah wants to retool the Usher when he comes to the Beis HaMikdash and make sure that he leaves the Beis HaMikdash with fresh eyes and a new attitude. And this is what this chilek of the Bikurim, I believe, comes to convey to the Yidin that came to the Beis HaMikdash to bring their Bikurim. The Aniyah Mitzarechad, the Ashir Mitzarechad, both of them come to the Beis HaMikdash and both are supposed to walk away with unique lessons on how to properly live their lives in a way that's mitigating the Nisyanis. What's the main Nisayan of an Ani? The main Nisayan of an Ani is the fact that he's so used to taking that he forgot how it feels to be a giver. And that's a terrible, terrible thing in life. Because human nature is a human being Be'etzim wants to give. Just like the Rabbi is a native, every human being wants to also be a native. I don't want to be a taker. I don't want to be somebody that's constantly on the receiving end of things. I want to be somebody that's generous and that's benevolent and that's able to share what I have with you. I don't want to be a poor person that's constantly on the taking side of things. It's a terrible way to live a life. A person wants to exert his midas anadivas, his generosity. Every person wants to be a nice, not a naito, to put it in the words of the Miftam Eliyahu. In the famous 
Kutras Achasa that he wrote. But Nebuch, a person that's an Oni, cannot flex those giving muscles because he doesn't have the ability, he doesn't have the luxury of giving. He's so busy taking all day. He's so focused on bringing in money into his home so he could feed his children, so that he could put some warmth in the house, get some firewood, pay the rent, pay the mortgage. He has to always juggle all the finances. So he's always focused on taking and he loses the ability to be a giver. And when a person loses that ability to give, when a person forgets how to give, that is a very bad thing in life. Because a person, in order to be a human being, in order to feel like a mensch, a person has to be able to give. And to give with generosity and with a full heart. A friend of mine recently told me a vart that's not published from Chaim Shmulevitz. It's not in the Sichas Musas. When you hear something that's not published, you have, to, you have to hold on to it and remember it very well. Because it's a chilek of Teresh It's like a, it's part of the Messiah. Chaim Shmulevitz says a great vart. At the beginning of the Torah, it says, like type it's not a good thing that man should be alone. Let's make him a wife. Make him an Azar companion to live with. The question is that if you look in, in Chazal, in Parshish Parashas, there's so many beautiful Mamari Chazal, and there's a few famous ones involving the fact that Adam Arishan was in Gan Eden, and in Gan Eden, he was living like Baruma Shalaylam. He was living... Amazing, an amazing existence. It says that there were thousands of Malachi Asharis that were Mivashlamay or Tsaidanlay Basa. They were roasting meat, they were making barbecues for Abu Marishan Ganadin. And they were bringing him wine. And he was living like, you know, like you picture King Tut, like people were like, you know, like fanning palm branches on him and air conditioning and and, and mead and, and, and wine and Kishnak Ezachin. Adam Rishon wasn't alone. Adam Rishon had hundreds and hundreds of Malachi Elyon that were serving him. They were at his beck and call. What does the Pasuk mean when it says, like, he wasn't alone, he's far from being alone. He had so many Malachim surrounding him, doing wonderful things for him. How is that being alone? Zatir Chaim Shmulevitz. He was alone. You know why he was alone? There were, there, were, there were malachim around him that were serving him, but he was not able to serve them. There was nothing that he could do for them. They were doing everything for him. He was on the receiving end of things, but he wasn't able to give. And when a person is not able to give, that deprives a person of the most basic human quality of giving. And so that is why he was alone. He had to have an Azer connected. Rabbi Shalom had to make him Chava so that he could serve Chava, he could help Chava, he could assist her, he could give to her. And only then was he able to properly be Adam. Yeah, he was. There were people, there were Malachim around that were giving him, but what, what do you give back to a Malach? Nothing. Part of being a human being, part of being an Adam, is this ability to give, to share with other people. 
There's a, a, one of the most beautiful stories I've ever heard was that there was a, a person after the war living in Belgium, a couple, a husband and a wife, and they survived the war, and they financially they were very, very poor. After the war, everything was taken away from them. They came out of the, the camps with barely a shirt on their back, and everybody was having a difficult time in those days. They were especially having it hard, and they were... This man was very, he was a proud person. He didn't want to take handouts at all, but Rahman al-Utslana came to the point that they needed to ask people. And the wife said, go to the Rav. And the Rav of Antwerp had a large fund. He had a lot of wealthier people in Antwerp, and they gave him so that he could distribute to people that needed it. He says, I don't want to go to the Rav. It's embarrassing. I uh, you know, maybe before the war he was uh, he was well-to-do or he was comfortable and now he has to go like a schnarr to the rub. He felt like he, he couldn't. And finally, there was no brera, there was no food in the cupboards, nothing in the fridge. His wife says, go to the rub. And he goes to the rub, he knocks on the door and he comes in like a, you know, sheepishly, embarrassed. He says, Rebbe, I, I, I don't even know how to ask, but... I really need some tzedakah. I need to take money. Nebuch, we have no food at home and, and, and things are really bad. and I, I, We need money. The Rav says, no problem. Tell me how much you need. We'll take care of it. And he told them and the Rav right away gave him the money and he was walking out the door with it and the Rav stops him. And he says, tell me something. He says, I have two ledgers on my desk over here. I have a ledger that I keep a list of the nicemen, the wealthy people in the community, the generous people in the community that I'm always able to come to when I need funds for Tzachet Tzibor. I have another ledger on my desk of the nightland, of the people, Nebuch, the poor people that need to take money in the community. Which book, which ledger should I put your name in? Are you to be counted amongst the nice men or amongst the nightland? Just tell me. I'll, I'll, I just want to put your name in a book. Which one should it be? And the person like opens his eyes and he says, Rebbe, he says, of course, put me in the book of the nice men. I'm a giver. I'm a give by, by nature. I love giving. I'm a very generous. But before the war, I used to love giving tzedakah. And Nebuch, right now, temporarily, my matzah has changed. The wheel of fortune has turned temporarily. But when I make some money, you're going to come to me and I'm going to give you so much. Please put me in that book of the nice Put me with the other people that are generous in Antwerp. And the rub took out his pen and he put his name prominently on the list in the list of the book of Neisman. This person walked out, instead of walking out feeling like a schnarr, feeling terrible, feeling like a pauper that just had to take a hand out, he held his head high. His back was erect because he saw that the Rav saw in him that he still is a giver. That in spite of the fact that there's temporarily a matzah that I have to take, but that's not who I am. That doesn't define me. And the rub doesn't see me that way. The rub put me in the book with all the givers of town. 
and that made him feel so good that he went and he had the confidence to start a business again. And the P.S. of the story is he became the wealthiest person in Belgium. I've been to Belgium. I've been to Antwerp and I've seen very wealthy people there. The people that are wealthy in Belgium are super wealthy. There's big diamond businesses there and people live very, very well if they're, if they're successful. And he was the wealthiest of all of them. And he always attributed it to the fact that the Rav simply wrote his name. He had the, the Seichel to ask him that question and to give him the option of being once again a Nisim. A human being, the Etzem, wants to be a Nisim. He wants to be a giver. But unfortunately, the Ani doesn't have the luxury temporarily of being a giver. He has to, life has dictated that he must take temporarily. The Tairah and its brilliance, is sort of like that Rav in Antwerp. When you come to the Beis HaMikdash, there's a mitzvah of Bikurim. Can you afford to bring those Bikurim? No. But the Torah says, bring Bikurim. So you scrape together a few Bikurim, a couple of the Shiva Saminim, and you put it in a basket that's the cheapest basket that you could find, but you put it in there. And the Torah says, go to the Kayin with that basket, give him not just in half measure. Don't just give them the fruits. Give everything. We want to remind you that you're really the etzim and nicing. You're a giving person. Go back home and take that confidence back wherever your farm is in Eretz Israel. Go back home and feel like good again. Feel rehabilitated. Feel that the Torah is so machshed you're giving that it wanted you even to give that basket. Even that was chashed. And with that, you're being retooled to go back and again feel like an usher. Feel like you have the world in your hands. You could do anything that you want because you are really a nice In the eyes of the Torah, you're considered to be a nice and You're giving something to the Rabbi Nishayim. And you're giving not just the fruits, but even the basket that the fruits are in, that also you're giving. That's a tremendous Musa hostel for the Ani to walk away from the parsha of, of Mikra Bikurim from the Beis HaMikdash, understanding that I'm a giver, that deep down inside, even though temporarily I have to take constantly from people, but I'm really a giver. And now we turn our sights to the usher. What's the Nisayan of an usher? The Nisayan of an usher is that he's so busy giving always, that he doesn't take. He doesn't take. He's so busy giving that he he feels like he doesn't need to take from anybody. And so that leads to a certain maybe gaiva, hoardiness, or self-confidence, smugness, independence. I don't need you. You need me. Everybody needs me. Everybody's coming to me day and night for tzedakah, for chesed, to borrow this, to get that. I don't have to take anything because I'm constantly giving. And that's not good. An usher has to understand that it's important also to take. Giving is a wonderful thing, but it's also, it shouldn't, you should never feel that you have nothing to receive from other people. You have to understand that even though you give, you also in life have to take. 
you know, I, I recently saw a story, and I don't want to say who the story took place with, because it's really, because I'm going to some, give a, a criticism, which is a big chutzpah on my part to criticize the story, because it happens to be one of the most beautiful stories that I've ever heard, and I feel bad, like, even sullying it. I, I think I've told this story countless times in a positive way, and I'm going to say it positively, but with a little critique. There was a very big Gevir. I know who the Gevir is. He was Nifter. But I, I, I knew him, and he was a, a wonderful person, one of the biggest Gevirim, one of the biggest Falei Tzedakah in our generation. And I'm not going to say who he is. He gave millions and millions of dollars in the most wonderful way possible to the most needy and, and, and worthy organizations. There was a yeshiva in Eretz Yisrael that called him. And they were building their yeshiva building, and it was one of the largest, most prominent yeshivas in Eretz Yisrael. And they had already like sold their old building, or they, and, and they were living there, but they, they, re, they were building a brand new structure. And after the foundation was set, and they were going to now start building a massive base medrash and a dormitory, the price of steel and the price of cement soared, and now they can no longer afford to build this building. So all of their grand plans were on the rocks. Everything was like, the yeshiva was holding by closing down, one of the major yeshivas in Eretz Yisrael. And they tried to get the money together in Eretz Yisrael, and they couldn't, they went to Europe, they couldn't, they called this Gavir in America. And they said, the whole yeshiva is on, we're basically, we're, we're not going to survive this. If we, we need a certain amount of money in the millions of dollars, if you could come across with that money, then it will be in yours, chus, the whole yeshiva. Because right now we have nothing, we don't have enough to pay for it, and we owe contractors, and we owe the, and all the plants, everything is going to be, it's the yamadin for the yeshiva. Can you give us that money? And he says, yes, I will give you the money. And he wired that money, and this, the, the construction continued, and they were able to build this beautiful, beautiful Mikdash Ma'at in Yerushalayim Rakhaydash. Now, they were planning on making a Hanukkah Sabayas. And they invited this Kavir, the Rashiva called this Kavir and asked this Kavir, please come the Chanukah Sabayas, it was because of you, it's in your chus that the yeshiva was built, and you have to come, and we want to give you the proper cover, the proper Akharis HaTayim, please come. And he says, no. He says, I'm not coming. He says, I'm happy. And this is, the, this is his, his derech in general. He's a very Sanuadika person. He didn't want his name on any buildings. He didn't want, that's the way he was. So please, we want to give the Makir Taib, you save the yeshiva, please come, it's going to be a beautiful Chanukah Sabayish, we're going to have a band, and we're going to have speeches, and we're going to have music, we're going to have dancing, it's going to be Givaldic. No, no, enjoy it. Anyway, he kept calling and calling and calling, and the guy kept saying, no, no, no. And then, the week of the, of the Chanukah Sabayish, he, he made one last call, the Rashiva, to this Kavir, the secretary answers the phone and she says he's not, he, he, he went away for a few days, he's not, he's not available even, I don't know where he went, he just went somewhere, he's not, he's not available. He says, okay, no, he's no is no, mish, mish, mish. 
So they had a beautiful Hanukkah Sabayis, and it was magnificent, and the yeshiva began to learn in the base medrash. It was a beautiful, beautiful affair. Separate were brought in. And after that, this Rashiva called this Kavir just to give him like a Nachas report. He says, I know that you weren't able to make it, and unfortunately, you know, but we want to just tell you it was a beautiful Chanukah Sabayis. You missed it. it was, he says, how do you know that I missed it? He says, I wouldn't have missed it. You told me it was going to be beautiful, and I came to it. He says, what do you mean you came to it? He says, I was sitting in the back row during the event. I heard all the speeches. I heard the music. Again, nobody recognized who he was. He was such a sanua that he didn't, want, he didn't want the fanfare. He wanted to be present. He told me I should be there, so I came. But I didn't want the covid. It's a beautiful story. It's Mamasha. It's, it's an amazing one. Chad This is a one person in the generation that could have such a such a nice set of Adam. Because most people, they, you know, they, they give and they like the covet. My only critique on the story, and again, it's a big chutzah for me to who am I to critique such a person. But the critique on the story is that I believe that the person should have made himself known at that Hanukkah Sabayas. Because it's fine to give. Giving is the most amazing thing in the world. But you also have to take. If a person, if the yeshiva wanted to give back, to express a little akar satayv to you, part of life is also being able to say, I want to take. Not take batayas getting covered, but taking, taking some appreciation. If you don't, accept appreciation, then it's not a full act of giving. You have to allow the person to thank you. If you say, if you give something to somebody and you don't permit that person the luxury of saying, thank you, I appreciate it, and you say, no, no, don't, don't mention, I don't want to hear anything. That, in a way, is a, it's not a full gift. Because part of giving is enabling the other person to, to give you back something. Even if it's as simple as a thank you or as a karasatai, it's important also. Again, I'm not critical. That person was not about Gaiba. It didn't stem from Gaiba. But giving needs also an element of taking. The usher suffers in life from the fact that he's so conditioned to give and to give and to give that he forgets about the ability to take. And the Torah addresses this usher as well. We're concerned for the usher. We don't want the usher only to think that he gives without taking. And so we turn to the usher and we say, you're going to give us your bikurim, but you're going to take back your gold basket. Take it back! And with this, you're going to learn how to take. I don't want to take the gold. I'm giving it to me. No, no, The halacha for you is, you have to take. What you're lacking is the, the ability to take. You're so busy giving the besamitash is telling you, the Kayan tells you, take this basket and take it back home with you. And with that, take the mission in life of not only giving, but also being able to receive. In life, a person needs to give, and a person also needs to take. And this is what, this strange halacha, this cryptic halacha of Bikurim, I believe, is telling the Ani and telling the Asher. To the Ani, Give! Give not only your fruits, but give the basket. We want the whole thing because you have to feel like a mensch. You have to learn how to give again. 
And to be usher, you have to learn how to take. Because that's your problem. Your chisarin is that you're so busy giving that you forgot that you, once in a while you need to take something also. It's an interesting minig Yisrael. I used to daven in a, in a chasidish shtibo when I lived in Flatbush. And um, they had a minig on Arab Rosh Hashanah, I believe. If you're a chasidish, maybe you can help me out over here. I maybe forgot some of the details. But there's something called lekach. It's a minig that they have by chasidim that the Rav goes, the Rebbe goes, and he distributes on Arab Rosh Hashanah. Everybody gets a piece of honey cake. Everybody gets a piece of honey cake. And whether you like honey cake, you don't like honey cake, you have to take the honey cake. Why? Because if there is a gezerah on you that you are supposed to receive this year, so this is your receiving. This is your receiving. Meaning if you're supposed to be on the taking handouts, you're taking the handout, the tires, the honey cake. That's your yaitzah, your chiyav of taking this year with a honey cake. That's what's important in life. Of even Gevirim have to take. Sometimes you have to take. You know, there's a story that's told. It's a, a cute joke. And I heard it even when I was a kid. Once upon a time, there was an old philosopher. And the old philosopher was on his deathbed. And... He was surrounded in a crowded room of a lot of students, a lot of his disciples. And from the back of the room, there was like one disciple that said, get one more, one more vart from the Rebbe. Get one more vart from this old philosopher. One more brilliant nugget of knowledge that we could take with us in our hands and keep with us. So it goes through the whole room like a ripple of, you know, waves of, of Talmidim, waves of, of students saying... Can we have another bar? Another one more. So, the closest disciple who was standing right by the deathbed says to the guy, says to this philosopher, says, "Forgive us for asking. We know that you're in a very compromised position, but you know, one more brilliant nugget of wisdom we'd like to take from you." So the philosopher is like lying like this, and he's like, you know, he could barely talk, and he says, "Life." Life, life is like a river. And then he closes his eyes again. And there, you know, like this is like a big Einfeld. And life is like a river and it goes through the whole room. Life is like a river, life is like a river, life is like a river. And it goes to the back of the room and there's one cynical student there and he says, life is like a river, what in the world does that mean? Life is like, come on, give me a break. Life, I could say something else. Life, life is like a river. How is life like a river? So they talk over Ayman on that. Like, how is life like a river? So it goes back. How is life like a river? How is life like a river? How is life? It goes back to that Chashavah Talmud, that, that, that main disciple. He says, forgive us for our, for our, for our, uh, for our ignorance, O Master. But what does that mean? Life is like a river. So the old philosopher opens up his eyes and he says, Nope, so it's not like a river. That's the end. <laughs> it's not like a river. You know, I thought it was like a river, not like a river. Okay, it's 
could live with that also. So this is an old joke. But it always was like, in my mind, you know, you keep the certain things. Life is like a river. How is life like a river? And I was Shabbos Nachamu, I was in a hotel, and a Chashuva uh, Balabayas came over to me and he showed me a sefer that's absolutely delicious. It's a delicious sefer. It's called Nesiva Yeshur, and I don't have it, but I think it's written by the son-in-law of the Nesiva Shalom. And I saw a few, he's a brilliant Hamachacham, I don't know much about him, truth be told, but this, the Velach that I saw in that sefer was absolutely golden. I'm trying to get a copy. I just met this Balabayas at a Chastan, he said that he's working on getting me a copy. In this Sefer, on Parashas Vashanan, Agav Orch, oh, and without getting into the whole Vart, he just says like, Agav Orch, like a, a, a Vart, he says that's, that's Yadua. It wasn't Yadua by me, and, and since then I've told it over to countless people, Rabbanim, and they used it in their sermons or whatever, so it was, it's a very, it's an amazing Vart. You have to listen to this Vart. says that there's two bodies of water in Eretz Yisrael. There are two bodies of water in Eretz Yisrael, two major bodies of water. There's the Kinneret and there's the Yama Melech. And we know, I'm sure we've all been to both, the difference between the Kinneret and the Yama Melech is the difference between Shemaim and Eretz. The Kinneret is a body of water that's teeming with life. There's fish, dozens and dozens of different types of fish by the millions. Fishermen come and pull. I remember when I, the first time I went there at the show, I think my parents took us to a, uh, to a restaurant overlooking the Kinneret. And they served St. Peter's fish. St. Peter's fish is the famous fish that's sold, you know, that's caught in, in the Yamamel, in the Kinneret. And, uh, and that was like the specialty in that place, that was Mamish, the, the major fish of that. But, there's, but there are many fish in, in the Kinneret. It's full of life, and people are, you know, are boating on the Kinneret, and they're fishing on the Kinneret, they're swimming in the Kinneret. It's like full of life. Then you go down to the Amamelech. The Amamelech is, as it's called, the Dead Sea. It's dead. There can't be, an organism can't survive in the Amamelech. It's all salt. It's salty water, it's chemical, it's not, it's, not a, it's not a place that you could swim, you could float, you know, you have to, you have to go there, float, and read a newspaper while you're floating, and then take a picture, and then you could leave the, it's, you know, it's not, it's a very, uh, it's, 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 it's dead. Now you can say, okay, so why is that schwer? So one is, it's different bodies of water. The kasha on this is that they're both fed from the yardin. The Jordan River flows into the Kinneret, and then it continues out of the Kinneret, and it goes down to the Amamela. So it's, it's being fed by the same river, by the same Jordan River, but yet, ironically and, and mysteriously, one is so alive and one is dead. What's the pshat? It's a good kasha. He says the Gavadagatarits. He says, you know what the difference between the Kinneret and the Yamanoach is? The Kinneret is a river that takes the water from the Yardin, and then it gives off river back to the Yardin. 
and the Yarden continues. It's a river, it's a body of water that takes and then it gives. The Amamelech, the Yarden feeds into it and that stops there. It doesn't continue out. It's, it, it, the buck stops with the Amamelech. If you look on a map, you'll see the Kinneret, the Yarden flowing out of the Kinneret, the Amamelech, it's a big sea, but there's nothing that comes out of that sea. It stops with the Amamelech. Zakt in the Siva Yeshurim. When a person, when, in, when something is able to be a giver and a taker, to be able to take and then to give, that's life. But when something just receives and it doesn't have the capacity to give forth, that's death. It's an amazing verse. Life is like a river. Life is indeed like a river. That's life. That's the estate of life. If you're able to take and to give, you're a human being. If you're just a taker and you're not a giver, that's death. And that's the estate of the Bikurim. That is the estate of the Bikurim, in a nutshell. The Bikurim teach a person that you have to be a taker and you have to be a giver. There are times that it's important in life even though you could barely afford something, you can't afford, you're so busy taking, you have to remember that you have to give. Don't just be a taker in life. You have to, if you're just taking, you're not alive. You have to give. But it's also important to know that if you're a giver, you have to take. You have to be able to have both midas in you. A human being has to give, he has to be generous, he has to have the midas and the divas. But at the same time, he also can't be so high and mighty that all I can do is give, 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 and I never have to receive. The Gemara in Kedushin says in that Zion that normally a man has to give a woman to be Makadish or something which is Shava Pruta. But there's one exception. Adam Chashev Shani. If a woman gives an Adam Chashev something, let's say she gives him a ring, she gives him $10. She gives him a, 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 a safer. And, she, and, and he says, Haram, Mekudeshesli, in the Anah that you have, that you're giving me something, Mekudeshes. Because for a rich person to be able to take something is a Chiddush. But a rich person has to be able to take something. It's not fair to just always have people taking from you and you don't allow them to give something back to you. You have to be able to take something back. This is what the Bikurim teaches us. The Usher and the Ani both have something to, to work on in life. Because to have a life, you have to be like the river. You have to be like the Kinneret. You have to be able to take and you have to be able to give. This is not only Nagaya wealth and poverty in the dollar category. There's a lot of different types of wealth and poverty in life. I think in the yeshiva, the most common form of wealth and poverty is not money. Baruch Hashem, I don't think in the yeshiva itself, you know, whether a person has money, doesn't have money, I don't think it says nicker. I hope it's not, as it is in the world outside. Here, people are learning... The davening, you know, you're eating, there's a meal plan, 
and uh, you know it's basically uh, it's basically hopefully a, a level playing field. But there is something that a person is an ani and an usher in, and that's the ability to learn. There are people that are wealthy. There are people that are able to make a laning in three seconds, get all the marmachimus in five minutes, chapshir in real time. They're able to know everything, be machadish things, get chaburas. There are people that are wonderful, ashirim. And then, there are people that are aniyim. There are people that they don't have as much. Their backgrounds are weaker. They don't have the IQ, the mind that other people have. And they're on the on the receiving end of life. And they need Chavrusas to teach them, and they need Rabbeim to hold their hand, they need uh, always to be coming on to the favors of others, to be able to learn. The Gemara says, Success in learning really will come from the Anim, not from the Ashirim. The Chazanish used to say, that the Iluyim and Klayasol, those brilliant, brilliant super supercomputer minds, very seldom did Klayasol have a lot of nachas from them in terms of them producing greatness. Greatness comes from the poverty stricken Talmudim. The people that are poor, not only monetarily, but the people that are poor in their skills because they want it so badly and they work so hard, and that's the secret to success when it comes to learning. So there are Nim and Ashirim and Yeshiva in the sense of in the sense of learning. There's a story by the way with Rav Hutner. Rav Hutner was once telling of Aaron Cutler. Rav Aaron Cutler was the most brilliant mind of his time. And the whole world knew about Rav Aaron Cutler's brain. He was like super, super brilliant. And whatever we say about him is, is just a, a remnant. Like we don't even have a concept of how brilliant Rav Aaron Cutler was. Rav Hutner was saying to him a story once that that um, a shidduch was proposed in Brisk to a certain, uh, a certain uh, girl, and the boy was very, very, uh, the boy was very, uh, was very shach in learning. But he was really, he, he really tried his hardest. And they went, so they heard good things about the boy, but, uh, you know, they, but they thought that they would get a brilliant boy, not, a, not, a, not an average boy. So, they went to Rabbi Shul Diskin, who was the Rav of Brisk, and they asked him for an Eitzah, should they take the Shidduch or not? So he says you should absolutely take the Shidduch, and he says that, that he says it's not talking about money, like I just said, it's talking about, about, about the, the IQ people that are poor, from them Tyre will come from. Because they're so hungry, they're so thirsty to become smart, to become Lamdanim, to become Bikiyim, that they are the ones that are ultimately going to succeed. He says, this boy today, he might not have what it takes, but he will. And he, Taka, they know who he became. He became a tremendous Tamachachim. Rebaran Cutler started crying when Rebutner told him this story. And I think it said, it said that he ran out of the room to compose himself for Aaron Kotler. He was so affected by this story. And Rafutner like felt bad. Like he thought that I said something that I said. Like what did I say that was, you know, what I hope I didn't hurt Aaron Kotler. 
So he runs after him and he finds him crying in the other room. And he says, Rabbi, what's, you know, what, what, what did I say to Rashiva that, that, that made him so sad, so upset? So he said that, he says, it, it, it pained me what you said. Because such Anias I was never Zaychet to. I was never Zaychet to Anias. I was brought up and I was always brilliant. I always have, you know, had, had, and I never was Zaychet to have that, that Tyra that's Mitaychaini. And, and I think that the message of the Bikurim is something that we have to take in Yeshiva to heart. If we're people that are Anian in Debrei Taira, we're the guys that people never have to always, you know, work with and, and learn with, and, you know, because I don't get it. A person like that has to also be, be nicing. Find somebody that's schwacher than you and teach him. Or join partners in Tyra, call up somebody that's barely from and learn with them a little bit. It's important for a person to feel that I'm not just a taker, I'm a giver. I also want to use my ability to give, my midas hanedivas, to help others. You can't just take and take and take because it's very debilitating. You have to give, you have to show that I'm a giver and remind yourself that I still have what to give in life. And when you're able to do that, then you're able to, like that poor person in Belgium, become the wealthiest person in Belgium and the wealthiest person in Kuala Yisrael because you will gain so much wealth from the ability to know that you have what to give. Don't lose the muscles of giving, even though you might need to take. And for those Iluyim, for those Mitsuyanim that are always giving and giving, teaching and teaching and teaching, you have to take. If somebody wants to read the Gemara, if somebody wants to tell you something, even though you know it all, don't say that. Take from them. Listen. Give the other people the ability to share with you, Divrei Taira. And say, wow, that's an amazing word. Even if you heard it 30 times already, Listen to it again. Listen to it again. Give the person the satisfaction. I think they say a Maisa with Reb Chaim Eiser. That Reb Chaim, I'm not sure if it was Reb Chaim Eiser or Mrs. Zalman. But one of them, they were in the middle of learning with a, with a Chabrusa, with a Talmud, and somebody comes in and says, knocks on the door, Rebbe, did you hear? Chaim became a Chassan. Oh, Chaim became a chassan, mazel tov, mazel tov, it's wonderful news. And then he went back to his Gemara, and they started learning again, and then a few minutes later, another knock on the Rebbe, different guy comes in, did you hear? Chaim became a chassan, became a chassan, mazel tov, beautiful. Thank you for sharing that with me. They go back to learning again, the same thing repeats itself over and over and over again. The Chavrus is like getting annoyed, like stop answering the door. And stop pretending like it's such a chiddush. And so what do you, what do you? So he says, every person that's coming in and telling me this, they wanna, they, they're giving me something. They wanna see a reaction, and they earn a reaction. They deserve a reaction. They deserve that I should tell them that's a beautiful, beautiful news. Thank you for sharing that simple with me. If I tell them, yeah, yeah, I heard it. How many times do we do that? Yeah, you're telling me that he's that he got engaged. He, I knew that he was getting engaged before he knew that he was getting engaged. Don't start telling me about getting engaged. I'm telling you something. 
you know, or, or you go to somebody, you know, you want to tell them a joke, and like as soon as right before he tells the punchline, you have to right away say the punchline. Look, so life is not a river. It's not like a river. Like, let, let me finish my joke. Why do you have to why do you have to step on my toes? Let me finish it. The answer is because you're so smart that you want to make sure that nobody's ever able to give you anything. You, you're the one that tells people the jokes. You're the one that's in the know. You tell other people information. Nobody's allowed to give you information because you're too high and mighty. You're the, you're the usher. Somebody wants to tell you a base alevi on the parasha, not you telling me the base alevi. The base alevi confided in me personally and brisk in the, let the guy say in the base alevi. You heard it already say so act like you like you never heard it before. Give the guy the satisfaction that he's telling you something that you never heard. Can such a thing be? Is it possible that somebody could tell you a chiddush and you didn't hear it? So even if you did hear it, pretend that you didn't and tell him that it's a gorgeous vart. Because a nicein has to also learn that you're not just a nicein. You have to be in life a lakeach also, a nightel. It's important to be a nightel. You have to be, give people the satisfaction of, of saying to you, I want to tell you something. And if you deprive that person of ever giving you something, then you're doing yourself a disservice and you're doing that person a disservice. And this is the site of the Bikurim. The Bikurim is... The whole Bria Sa'ilam was Kedai for the Mitzvah Bikurim. Because the Mitzvah Bikurim teaches us all how to be human beings. And it breaks up life into the haves and the have-nots. And it tries to make the have-nots into haves and the haves into have-nots. Because that's how you create a perfect person. No one should ever think that all I do is take. And nobody should ever think that all I do is give. But a perfectly calibrated human being is one that's like the river that's able to take and is able to give and does both with grace and with beauty and with sensitivity. Halavai, we should be zaycha to learn the lessons of the Bikurim. We should remember that life is taka like a river. That there's only a chios, there's only a life. You're only considered to be alive if you know the art of taking and you know the art of giving. Have a wonderful Shabbos.